Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for joining us again here at Advent Brunches. I uh, hope you had a good time. Hey, thanks to the ladies that cooked today. Really appreciate that. Yeah, that was delicious. Yeah, a little round of applause would be in order. Yeah. Uh, sorry to all of our gluten-free peeps, though. I don't know if you enjoyed anything, but uh, yeah, sorry for your life. But uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Today, I have a lot to get into. Uh, I think it is going to be a good and meaningful day, so let's jump in. I want to ask first, what would make you happy? We recently bought a new fridge, and uh, fair warning, this is the only funny story I could fit in for all of today, so enjoy it. Soak it up. We're going to go in a not funny desert after this, and I'm talking about joy and happiness, which is ironic. But uh, we recently bought a new fridge. We bought a new house. It came with a fridge. The fridge didn't not quite work right, which is really frustrating. You know, you spent just the most money any human being has ever spent in their entire life, and you walk and you put a cup up to your fridge and no water comes out. It's awful, right? So then we decide, hey, okay, we've got a little bit left in the savings. Let's buy a new fridge. So we start looking at these things, and they are absurd. Now, I'm seeing some nods, and that is from people that have purchased a fridge before. And everybody else is kind of looking at me like, whatever, man, it's a fridge. Like, no, you don't understand. Like, they sell these things like they have been made by NASA, right? Like, they're telling you about all of the features, and they've got this stainless steel design, and they've got all these crazy things and everything. And, like, really, the interior of a fridge has not changed in 50 years, right? I mean, it's just, it keeps things cold. It's a big box that sits in your kitchen, and it keeps things cold. And if you saw the price that they want to charge you to keep things cold, it is truly, truly staggering. But we went for it, right? And not only did we go for it, we, we went hard for it, all right? We bought a fridge from the year 2030 at least. Now, I'm not going to say like far into the future. It's just slightly into the future. But this fridge, uh, I kid you not, it makes craft ice cubes, okay? So they're like little round ice cubes. Uh, you may have seen them before. It is just an absurd feature that I... It really, like, we didn't pay much extra for it. It just kind of, like, worked out for the budget and everything like that. And I was like, well, we could have one without a craft ice maker, and we could have one with. So we went with, of course. So they bring the fridge by. Uh, They're going to put it in. And, of course, they don't have the right parts or something to put it in. So they have to wait a little bit longer, wait for weeks to get the fridge in anyway. And then they try and connect the water line, but they can't do that. So I have to go to Home Depot and get a new water line. And then I'm crawling around in the bowels of my house trying to figure out how to get this water line connected and everything like that, get it all hooked up. And you actually have to throw out the first batch of ice. Isn't that cruel? I felt like that kid in, like, the marshmallow experience or the experiment, you know, where you have to, like, do that sustained, uh, I forget to go delayed gratification that's what it is so I'm like sitting there like waiting we throw out the first batch of ice and then I hear the like clunk clunk I'm like sitting in the living room and I hear the clunk clunk from my fridge and I know that that first batch of ice is up and so I have waited now for a month on this fridge and the craft ice has just came out so I go I drop it into a cup I pour some water in there and I will tell you honestly and I, I mean this with all of my heart it was slightly colder than the water would have been otherwise. Like, it was, it was ice, and it did the job that ice did, and it did it well, but 
it was ice. And I realized in that moment, as cruel and sad as it was, uh, that my life would be ruined by a ball of ice, that I had been placing a lot of my like value and happiness and self-worth into this craft ice machine. Now, that may sound stupid to you guys because you're all like self-actualized humans and you would never do something so foolish as place your happiness in the hands of an LG refrigerator, but I think we do this kind of thing all the time, right? Like, if you really sat back and looked at all the things that you put your happiness into their hands, like, I'll be happy when this happens, I'll be happy if I can do this, I'll be happy if I can get this, I'll happy, be happy if this happens, it's really, really, really quite foolish that we would ever entrust our happiness to something like that, right? I want you to try something to make sure that I'm not the only foolish one in the room. I want you to think about this, okay, so everybody let your mind relax, clear your mind, relax, take a second. And I want you, in your own mind, you don't have to shout it out, I want you to finish this sentence for yourself. I will be happy when. I will be happy when. Is it when I'm married, or when I get a new job, or when I get through this busy season, or is it when I buy this thing, or do this thing, or when I can ski more, or see family more, or travel more, or is it when this happens, or when that happens? Think about it. We all probably have something. Maybe you have something short-term. Maybe it's I'll be happy when this guy stops talking. Maybe uh, you'll be happy when you get to go to lunch. Maybe it's something long-term. Man, I'll be happy when I finally get to retire. I'll be happy when this thing comes about or this thing comes about. Do you see that whenever you finish that sentence, whatever you are putting in the end of that sentence is defining your happiness. It is defining your well-being as a human being To say that this circumstance or that thing is going to define your happiness. And that is because happiness always relates to what happens to you. Chip Dodd says it this way in The Voice of the Heart. He says, the word happiness finds its origins in the base word happenstance, which means that circumstances dictate our sense of well-being or serenity. Happiness controls externally. Which begs the question, is this what we're basing our lives off of? External circumstances? How foolish are we? Can I take just a moment and destroy all happiness? I know, I'm coming off like a cartoon bad guy a little bit here. Uh, but can I, can I just pick it apart for just, just one second? I'm sorry, it might make us a little bit sad, but uh, this, is, this is, I think, the direction that we need to go. Happiness is fleeting. It can't last forever. You know, I don't know why when I was walking to church this morning, I thought of this. There's that, like, goofy adage that's like, you know, you take a bite of chocolate cake and you're like a second on the lips, uh, forever on the hips or something like that, right? Like, how long? I don't know why I thought that. Anyway, how long does even the most happy thing even last? Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is hollow. It's so easy to create sometimes. You beg the question, is it really even real? Is there any substance there? Happiness is cheap. We can manufacture it with substances or with sensuality or whatever you might want. It's really relatively easy to obtain. Happiness is fragile. If a circumstance can create it, a circumstance can destroy it. Happiness is not bad. It's just not enough. And we're hanging far too much of our lives on it. Happiness is kind of like a rickety ladder. The more weight that you put on it, the more you risk and the more likely that it is to fall. 
And so are you. And if you've lived for more than 10 minutes, then you know that you simply don't have the capacity to keep yourself reliably and consistently happy. Merry Christmas. As for me, I am done with happiness, and instead, I'm going with joy. Now, I want to make a subtle differentiation here. I want us to use these definitions. They are a little bit made up. Uh, you kind of know what happiness is. But I want to differentiate it from this feeling, this biblical idea of what joy is. So joy is both the feeling and intentional outlook of gladness from or in God. Joy is both the feeling and intentional outlook of gladness from or in God. Joy is an interesting one because you'll see as we go through Scripture later that it is both a feeling, something that you experience, but it's also something that you do, something that you choose. It's kind of like love's little brother in that way, right? Love is both a feeling and an action. We understand it in both of those forms. Joy functions very much the same way, and it orig originates from God. This is really the crucial difference between happiness and joy. The feelings may feel very similar, but their origins are completely different. I could mean that being in like a worship gathering or reading scripture or something like that would give you joy, but even more so, I want to say that when you are connected with God, using him as the origin for your joy, when everything that you are and do is aimed at serving his kingdom, then all things can be filled with his joy. Now, I know what you might be thinking right now. <clears throat> Because even as I was writing the sermon, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking to myself, I'm not sure if joy is really even possible right now. You know, Christmas is a weird season. It is the best of times. It is the worst of times simultaneously. There's lots of joy that comes naturally, lots of happiness that comes from external circumstances, but also lots of pain, lots of grief, like lots of hardship. The world is a hard place. Christmas feels like a time when happiness is the most possible and also where grief is the most near. So all I'm asking for the next 15 minutes, just 15 minutes, can you just maybe imagine, maybe if you feel like you can't imagine, just pretend that joy is something that is possible for you? And let's actually take a look at the biblical idea of joy and see how it might affect our lives and see how it's better than happiness. First way that joy is better than happiness is that it's circumstance proof. Joy is circumstance proof. The word joy is used 204 times in the Bible, 62 times in the New Testament, and even more when you consider that the word kara, which as you guys all know means joy, is the noun form of the verb karo, rejoice. I know, you know, you know, don't need me to tell you these Greek words, right? So uh, joy and rejoice are actually the same word. As you might imagine, the word rejoice is in there quite a bit too. So then if you add those two together, the word joy is in the Bible tons and tons of times. Now, I just pulled out a few random places in the New Testament out of those 62 times, and I want you to look at the way that these believers, okay, so this is like the beginning of the church, uh, this is how the people of God were living, I want you to look at the way that they commend themselves, they commend each other to have joy in spite of their circumstances. We begin with something from Jesus in John 16, 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will leap and weep and lament, but you will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. There, Jesus talking about his own death. He says, it'll be really bad. You'll be really sad. But because of that, it will turn into great joy. 
Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, Paul says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul again, 2 Corinthians, I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. The author of Hebrews says, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Check that out. Joyfully accepted the plundering. And last, from James, he tells believers, the church, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It seems like just in that sort of like sweeping 20,000 foot overview, we can see that the church had hard times, hard times that you and I might not even be able to imagine. They're experiencing persecution. They're having their stuff taken from them. Uh, they're facing trials of all kinds. I mean, I can, I've been sick before. I've been broke before. I've had hardships before. I've never even described myself as afflicted before. And here is Paul saying, hey, in your affliction, you experienced great joy. Multiple writers and even Jesus himself says you can have joy in spite of your circumstances. And on top of all of that, these people did not even have air conditioning. I don't even know that joy feels possible in spite of those circumstances, right? The only solution to this question of how they are experiencing joy in spite of their circumstances is that they must be living and deriving their joy from something else. They must be deriving their gladness from a source that is independent of their circumstances. Which calls to question, if we don't feel joy, where are we looking for it? Are we looking at our fridge? It's not there. Are we looking at our TV? Are you looking at your spouse? Are you looking at your friends? Are you looking at your job? Are you looking at a person? Are you looking at a sports team? It's not going to be there. You might find some temporary happiness, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not going to be enough to sustain you. If you want a circumstance-proof joy, you're going to have to look to God. Is His Word in your life? Now, this is not just preacher speak before I even go through these questions. I want you to seriously ask, if you want this joy that transcends circumstance, if you want this joy that is so much better than happiness, ask yourself these questions. Is his word in your life? Are his people your counsel and your compatriots? Are they your friends? Is his spirit your guide? Do you seek him in Sabbath and prayer? Are you daily seeking to be more and more part of his unfolding kingdom plan to save the earth? I believe that God wants to offer this joy to us. I believe it is out there for us. For whatever reason, as I was thinking through this this week, I had this image of sitting almost like you pull up at home one night. And before you walk in the door, you like pull out your phone, you're just sort of sitting in the car and you're scrolling along, you're looking at you know, Instagram or something like that, and you're thinking about how weird it is that we continue to do this even though it's not all that satisfying, and you're sitting there and you're just kind of stuck in one of those like scrolling loops. All the while, there is a surprise party awaiting you inside. 
This is the joy that God is offering to us when we content ourselves with meager happiness. God is the one waiting inside to give you that joy because joy is a gift, which is the second way that joy is better than happiness. Joy is not something that you give yourself. Joy is something that is given to you. Check this out in Galatians. Paul here is writing to the birth of the church that they might understand the results or fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was confusing to them back then. It's confusing to us today. So Paul here is trying to explain to them, hey, here's what's going on. And he says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. To say that this is the fruit means that it is the result. It is the output. It is the consequence. If you have the Holy Spirit, then what Paul is saying here is the fruit of having the Holy Spirit is going to be joy. It is the result. It is the very Spirit of God, member of the Trinity, has planted a joy tree inside of you, and it is going to grow in you and produce joy. The natural question to ask here is, why are we denying its growth? I don't know what happened, uh, like about a year ago, uh, but this verse really struck me. And I think the reason why it didn't strike me is because uh, I used to be a kid, and I went to church, and then I also did kids' ministry in church. And man, the fruit of the Spirit is bread and butter for kids' ministry. I can like seriously sing you three different songs about the fruit of the Spirit right now, uh, and I have them like memorized backwards and forwards, right? And so I always thought this was just sort of like cute nonsense, right? You know, like it's just kind of, it's, it's fine. When you really think about it, Paul here is saying to these people who have experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time, this is the first generation of people who have the Holy Spirit indwelling within them. And he says, hey, the fruit of that, the result of that happening to you is going to be this. And I looked around at my life and I said, do I have gentleness? Does that come out of me? Do I have kindness? Do I have patience? Am I a person that is defined by self-control? So the question is, if I'm a follower of Jesus, endowed with the Holy Spirit, his fruit should be evident in me. Do I have joy? I want to talk for like 20 more minutes on that, but I think I'm not. I think I'm just going to leave it there. Because hopefully there's someone here in this room who needs to do the work in the same way that I need to continue to do the work to ask the Holy Spirit if he is within me, then where are these fruit? To seek the Holy Spirit that I might see his fruit within me. Finally, joy is better because it comes from the gospel. It comes from the good news. Now, I know you've been waiting this whole time because I've just been up here yammering, but here comes the Christmas, all right? I know this is what you came for. This is what you paid for. Uh, here it comes, Christmas, Luke 2, 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about, or around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You guys can tell that I have a six-year-old at home that loves the Peanuts gang, as I almost slipped into Linus there, of, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them. 
That word good news here, we have two words. It's actually just one word, euangelizo. It's where we get our word evangelize or our word evangeline. I know, cute, right? Uh, It means good news. It's also translated gospel. So the angel said to these shepherds out in the middle of the night, don't be scared, I bring you the gospel of great joy. Now, uh, many people sort of surmise that they're there saying, hey, don't be scared right now. Like, yeah, we're showing up in glowing pajamas and we're in the middle of the night sky. Like, it would be pretty terrifying. That makes sense. You know, don't be scared. But I think in some ways they're also like preempting this good news. They're saying don't be scared in a way that's almost like mankind will never need fear again because of the joy of this good news. God is now putting all the scary things to death. Or, as some of our best Christmas songs capture it, No more let sins and sorrows grow, no thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. The angels here are saying, don't fear, I bring a gospel, a good news of great joy. Joy is the result of this good news. In fact, the NIV translates this as good news that will cause great joy. Are you looking for this joy this season? Do you want it? Are you sitting out in a dark field in the middle of the night wondering if anything good will ever happen to you? Are you tired of fragile and fleeting happiness that this world has to offer? If so, I have good news. It's the same good news that those angels brought 2,000 years ago. Very simply, it is that God sent his son to come as a small, fragile, and feeble baby to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, and to raise from the grave. But that's not even the joy-bringing part. The joy-bringing part is that he did it for you. That he took your imperfect life and gave you a perfect one. That he took your rebellion and gave you love. That he took the law that you broke and gave you grace that you couldn't earn. That he took your death and gave you his eternal life. And finally, further news of good joy is that he is coming back again to set the world to rights and make it so that we might enjoy this life with him forever. And if that doesn't give us joy, then we are not awake to the realities of the world around us and how desperately we actually need that. That ought to be the source of all of our joy. I wanted to end there, but the sermon planning team told me that I couldn't. So uh, how do we experience joy? That's right. I'm just throwing you guys under the bus for this. Uh, So anything else that comes after this is just practical application, a waste of your time. I wanted to end with the gospel. They said, no, add to the gospel, Josh, please. We want, I'm just really going into it. Anyway, uh, it is important, I think, now. I'm making fun of it, but it is actually important. All of that is good. We we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we actually put this into practice? I hope that you've come to a place where you're like, yeah, I kind of want that joy. Yeah, I do want the joy derived from the gospel. I want more than simple happiness. I want more. And so here are three ways. Uh, This is seriously the part, the reason why I didn't want to put this in here is because I want to preach three more sermons, but we're keeping these Advent ones short. 
so we can eat brunch. Uh, so I'm just going to run through these as quickly as I possibly can. The first is to live a full life, which is officially the cheesiest, most uh, self-care thing I'll ever put up on the screen, live a full life. But I believe that it's true. Happiness says to seek good feelings and avoid hard ones. I bet if you think about the times when you really felt joy, it was very often attached to or even a direct result from feeling sadness. Think about that. Happiness is not sort of one-to-one attached to sadness, but joy, the times when you've actually felt that, is twinged with a piece of sadness. Chip Dodd, again, in the voice of the heart, he says this, in this acceptance and understanding comes joy. But again, joy comes through the willingness to feel pain as we pursue living. We risk living with the potential of pain or we give up a fulfilling life by committing our lives to survival through self-protection. In order to cultivate joy, you have to lean in. You have to try. You have to risk. You have to put yourself out there. I mean, think about the best things in life. Think about the things that have the potential to bring you the most joy. Don't they also come with an inherent cost? You don't have a baby being born without nine months of hardship. You don't earn or gain anything worth having without some measure of sacrifice. And so in order to experience this joy, we actually have to lean in to living a full life. I could go on a dystopian rant right now if I wanted to about how we are actively trying to do this less and less and less and that our generation, people living right now, might be the worst at this because we have so many ways to distract ourselves. So many ways to avoid feeling pain, and as a result, we end up avoiding feeling joy. So here's what I'm inviting you to do. Turn off your phone, turn off your TV, try something that scares you. Live deeply in the fullness of every single moment. And most importantly, do what God is telling you to do down in the deepest part of yourselves. The way that God is speaking to you in your soul, inviting you into living fully into his kingdom, I am saying that it is for your joy that you would actually take part in that. Even in the midst of the darkest and most painful moments, I am inviting you to live fully by asking, what is God showing me this? How is God in this? How is joy even possible right now? Because I believe that joy is like a rainbow, and it simply is not possible without clouds and rain, but it is worth it. No one ever sees a rainbow after a storm and says, yeah, that's nice, but I wish we wouldn't have had that storm. No, the power of that image and symbol is too much for our brains to even contend with. And that's what we are missing out on every single time we pull back, we hide, we self-protect. Second, practice the gospel. This good news can bring you ongoing and daily joy. We say this sometimes here at Dwell Church, that you ought to be preaching the gospel to yourself. Which is nice, because I can't follow you all around all the time. So I'm kind of just disseminating the work here. Preach the gospel to yourself all the time. Here's what it looks like to practice this gospel and derive joy from it every day. You say to yourself, I am valued and loved and known by the God of the universe, and that gives me joy. I am not what I have done. I have been forgiven. That gives me joy. In spite of my circumstances, I know that everything is going to be all right, and not just all right, but all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, and that gives me joy. 
You can practice the gospel by extending this gospel to others. I can forgive because I am forgiven, and that gives people joy. You can say that this life is not all there is, and that is going to give you and the person you're telling it to joy. You can say, I am loved in spite of myself. I can love you in spite of who you are, and that gives you both joy. I want you to imagine this as you are thinking about how to cultivate joy in your life. What if not only through the gospel you experienced the greatest joy there ever was, but you allowed yourself and your life to be a conduit for that joy to flow on to other people? If you allowed this good news of great joy that was told by angels to shepherds 2,000 years ago and was one day told told to you and changed your life forever, if you allow that to flow through you, imagine the joy that you might experience in that moment. Finally, friends, if you want joy in your life, look to God. I can't give you a recipe for how to instantly experience joy in every circumstance, but I think uh, God's word tells us how to start. In those moments when you're confused, in those moments when you're struggling, in those moments when you feel like joy is impossible... I feel as though the author of Hebrews has given us this to remind us how we might find that joy. He says in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people who have done this exact same thing before, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Races are not easy. They require endurance. And while we are doing that, verse 2, we look to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith for who who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God if you want joy look to Jesus in every circumstance in every season of life that you find yourself in in every bright morning and every dark night look to Jesus. It's not going to solve all of your problems. It's not going to be an immediate quick fix, but I believe it is the very first step that we can possibly take to experiencing this gift of joy that Jesus so desperately wants to give to you, to give to me, to give to each and every one of our neighbors that we see every single day. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.